about five years ago, I bought a house, which I know makes me an adult. But continue to hear the rest of the story, and your opinion of me may change. And so in the inspection, they told me that there was a part of the roof where like, the water comes together and flows off that required shingles that did not have it. And he said, you know, you'll probably want to replace that sometime. And I thought sometime could be any time. And I had this secret hope that I wouldn't have to like pay and do the work of hiring someone. And then it would kind of like magically shingle itself. Like some little elf would come in the middle of the night and just like shingle it for me. I'd be like, look, it's fixed. This is great. And so believe it or not, that did not happen. So about four years later, I was sitting in my living room, just kind of looking around at the ceiling because that's apparently what I do. And I noticed this like water spot and I thought, well, that looks weird. And so I put my finger on it, as anyone would, and it went through it. And I thought, if this house is not made of putty, there might be a problem with my ceiling. And so I went and I called the roof people and I said, hey, could you slap some shingles on the roof because we seem to have a water problem. And so they came and they, I was like, just, you know, slap them on, it'll be fine. And they're like, okay. So they started like ripping up things and they found that not only were there no shingles, but underneath the area where shingles should have been was wood that makes up what we call the roof, which is a very important feature of the house in case you did not know that. Well, it had been completely rotten and water was dripping through the roof, through my attic, into my ceiling and causing a little thing. And the guy kind of walked in, he's like, I don't know how this whole thing hasn't fallen down yet. And I was like, oh, great. So you're going to fix it, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll fix it. It'll take a few days to get some part. I'm like, oh, great, okay. So a few days pass. Um, but first, the storms start coming. There is rain in the forecast all the time, and it's pouring down rain, and I am now like, so urgent. I'm like, hey, can you come right now? Can you come? Can you come fix it? Can you uh, put a tarp on it? I don't want it to rain. Because all I can hear is the words, your ceiling will fall down. And I'm like, ah, I can't do anything. So I like climb up into the attic and I'm like looking and I just have a flashlight and I'm like laying on my belly, looking with a flashlight, just watching it drip. And I'm like, how do I save the house? <laughs> so I took, a I took a sled and I slid it underneath there to catch the water to fix the house. You're welcome. Um, so they came and they actually fixed it. But what I find really interesting is the urgency level I had between, you know, the original inspection, he's like, hey, you probably need shingles there, to the next day where it was like, you need to come now, it's going to fall in. There's a difference in urgency on my part. And it wasn't because the problem had changed. The problem had always been there. But what had changed was my awareness of how big the problem really was and that my whole living room was now in, in like, it could be damaged permanently. And so I was very much, a lot more urgent to get that fixed. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my spiritual life, I can start to notice symptoms and just put them off. You know, I kind of look, I'm like, oh shoot, I was not very patient today. So then I want a quick fix it. I'm like, all right, Bridget, next time count to 10 before you do that. That'll make it better. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, <laughs> Or maybe you, you see all your friends hung out without you and they didn't invite you. And so then you start to feel sad and alone, like no one loves you. And so that starts to seep out and you're like, oh, am I worth knowing? So then my quick fix is I'll just scroll through Instagram and remember all the fun times I had with all the fun people that I've been with and know that I am worthwhile. Not that any of you would ever do that. Um, there are symptoms in our lives that something is wrong. But many of us are unaware of the deeper problem that's going on beneath the surface. 
So tonight we're going to see how Jesus actually exposes what's really going on beneath the surface and how we can come to him with urgency for the help that we desperately need to be healed. And so I'm going to pray as we start. God, I am very aware of my need for you tonight. And God, what I want more than anything is for people to leave here tonight knowing how amazing you are, that they would glorify you, they would be able to leave all their burdens behind and leave here healed and forgiven and in awe and worship of you. So Spirit, we pray that you would show up and use your word in our hearts. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue the talk series, uh, Who Do You Say That I Am? It's a really important question as we look through the person of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And so last week, Carrie, if you weren't here, shared about how Jesus commanded this evil spirit out of a man, demonstrating that he didn't teach like other people teach, taught. He taught with authority. And since then, Jesus has been on the move. He's been traveling out of Capernaum, and he's been healing some more, like casting out more demons. He's been teaching, and he actually cured a leper. And at this point, he is getting so famous that he actually can't even go into, like, populated towns because he just gets, like, hordes of people all around him. So he's hanging out in the rural areas, kind of the Dale, the Dalevilles of the Muncie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Three of you are. Great. Thank you. Um, Daleville. So not even from there. Well, the story picks up. Jesus comes back to the town of Capernaum. And he is thought to be in Simon's house, where he has actually just healed Simon's mother-in-law. And so they're in this tiny house. And let's just look at verses 1 and 2. Let's just read the Bible. It has better things to say than I do. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And so Jesus is in this house, and he's preaching the word. And if you're wondering what the word is, Mark 1.15 actually says uh, this word that he's preaching is that the kingdom of God is here, that you need to repent, to turn from your ways and believe the gospel, believe that Jesus has come to save you. And so imagine the word has gotten out, this house is full. And so I want to picture this, I want us to understand this world. So we're going to play a little improv game to keep me sharp and to keep you engaged. I'm just playing my cards here. So let's pretend Ball State is going to bring in the most famous, most attractive speaker we could possibly think of to come and talk to us for free. Who is that speaker? Shout someone. Shania Twain. <laughs> I think we all know the kind of crowd Shania Twain would draw. So Shania Twain is coming to Ball State. And we have resumed, we have reserved TC 101 for Shania. And you have a need to get to Shania because you want to know what is it really how do we know that man we feel like a woman maybe you're a guy and you don't know what that feels like and you need to ask her yourself you have got to know it's life and death so you're going to get to her but you walk in the doors of teachers college and the minute you walk in there's crowds you can't even see inside the door because there's so many people pressing in to see Shania Twain so you come up with a plan. You're like, we're going to find her. Maybe I'll go up to TC201 and see if I can do something. It'll make sense soon. Okay. So that's the desperation they have to find Jesus. They have got to get to Jesus. So let's go back to the Bible. We're at uh, verses 3 and 4 of Mark 2. If you have your Bibles, open them up. It's fun. It says that they came, to, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So we see that these men have this desperate need to get their friend, a paralytic, to Jesus. And so they're carrying this bed, and they get there, but the crowd is full. The house can hold maybe 50 people. People are standing outside the door. They just want to hear. They just want to see Jesus, but they can't get to him. And do they think, oh, well, we'll just talk to him later? No. They get scrappy. And so they take the back steps up. They go to the roof, which is kind of like a deck. And what you need to understand about the roof is that it's made of, like, the first top layer is, like, straw and branches that have been, like, thatched together that you can kind of roll up, like a fruit roll-up made of nasty things. And then the roof is, like, these huge beams of wood filled in with mud, this mud and clay mixture that they put on top, right? And so these guys think, we have got to get our friend to Jesus, and we're going to do whatever it takes. It's like you guys are like, okay, we got to get to Shania. we got the drills, we got the hammer, we're going Mission Impossible style in to talk to her. So that's what these men are doing. So imagine yourself for just a second. We're going to really get in the story. So imagine you now are sitting in that room with Jesus. You're sitting amongst the people. You're in. You're in. Well done. You made it inside. And then all of a sudden, you hear footsteps. Then you hear digging and scraping. And let's be honest, we are very easily distracted people. I don't think 2,000 years has changed us. I think they're all sitting there like, I got to listen to Jesus. What is happening? <laughs> Pay attention. Why? I don't know. What's, you know, they're talking. It's got to be a huge distraction. Dirt starts falling down in front of Jesus. The next thing you know, this hole opens up, and a man is lowered right in the center <laughs> of the room. Now, if I were speaking in this situation, in that distraction level, just the noise alone would probably annoy me, to be honest, because I'm kind of like that. But if all of a sudden someone was lowered in front of me, as I was talking, I would maybe be a little annoyed, a little distracted, maybe have a like, bro, could you not have waited like 15 minutes? I'm not going that long tonight. Could this not have waited? Do we have to destroy the property to get to me? But here's the deal. That's not how Jesus is. He is so much better than they are. We expect him to react to this desperate attempt to be annoyed with them, to be frustrated that he's disrupting them. But Jesus doesn't do that. See, he doesn't see this as an interruption or a distraction from his message, but he actually sees this as a real-life illustration of what kind of faith you need to have to get into the kingdom of God. He sees not the frustration, not the distraction, but he sees their faith. He, they understand that they have a desperate need for Jesus. And so we talk a lot about having faith in Christian circles. But what is it, really? Uh, I read a commentary, and this isn't like the most uh, expansive direct uh, definition for it, but I actually think it's really helpful for me. It says that faith is first and foremost not just knowledge about Jesus, but an act of trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. See, the friends knew that their friend, he had desperate needs. He was paralyzed. He was completely unable to move. He, he couldn't provide food for himself. He couldn't get himself places. He was dependent on everyone for his life. 
And my guess is, too, if you've ever had a physical injury, it's not just the physical aspects that are limiting, but also the relational and emotional aspects that come, too, where you feel isolated for the things you can't be a part of. He was in a desperate place. But this, there, it, was, it was incurable. What was he going to do? He's just laying on a bed for the rest of his life. But then word gets out that there's this man named Jesus, and he has been walking around curing the incurable. He's been miraculously healing people. And they realize that this man is their only hope to see their friend restored. And so they are going to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. And so let's go back to the story. Verse 5. It said, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven which is a really sweet moment. But if you're like me, you read that and go, what? Your sins are forgiven? Because my guess is the friends didn't go to all that trouble to have his sins forgiven. My guess is they wanted him to walk. So what is Jesus doing here? See, he's not just treating the symptoms of this man's problems but he's getting to the real root of the problem. Sin is this man's real problem, not the fact that he can't walk. And we, like that man, are all crippled by sin. And we are unaware that our deepest need is for forgiveness. But Jesus exposes our deep need for forgiveness, and he grants us forgiveness, all who come to him in faith. So let's just imagine you're having headaches. You go to the doctor, you want some extra strength head medicine, headache medicine. Uh, he insists that you run some tests, but you just kind of want the headache to be gone. You don't have the time for tests, you want to keep moving on. And so you take your medicine, you go. But then eventually you run out. And so we have to come back to the doctor again. And this time, the doctor convinces you, you know what, you really should get some tests run. It's not going away. And so you do. But then you find out there's a tumor. And actually, it's cancerous. And so you have a couple choices here. One option is that you can just keep, you can just leave with some, some aspirin, some really strong aspirin, and keep treating the symptoms and be done. Or you can go through the painstaking, arduous task of going through chemotherapy, of going and having surgery to get the tumor removed, but then it would be gone. And so what do you do in that situation? It's a hard situation, and I don't know, but we all realize that we have this cancer of our soul, and it's called sin. And left untreated, it affects every area of our life because God created us to be in relationship with him. And we disobey him. We disregarded what he asked us to do, and sin entered the world, and we are born with it. It's a very deep problem. We can try to treat the symptoms with good works, we can try to ignore that it's there, but there comes a point where we have to address that sin is a real problem in our lives. And unconfessed, it separates us from God. And Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of sin is death. What we earn, what we deserve, it will eventually kill us. We will be spiritually dead forever. But the second half of this verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
the good news is that Jesus came to take care of our sin problem. He came to forgive us, and we can experience that today. This is what we need more than anything. And you may think, you may think you just need for your circumstances to be better. For the, but the really, you need the real symptom, not the symptom, but the sin to be taken care of. And so you might be thinking to yourselves, everything would just be okay if my parents would just get back together. I wouldn't feel so alone if I could just get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'd feel better about myself if I was skinnier, smarter, or funnier, more popular. But what you really need more than anything is to be wiped clean of your guilt and of your shame. To be set free from the sin that keeps you from experiencing that relationship and intimacy with God that you were created for. And you can have that right now. If you look to Jesus in faith, confess your need and believe that he can heal you from that real problem of sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, how many of you can identify with the paralytic tonight? Do you feel hopeless to conquer your sin? Do you feel dirty from the mistakes that you've made? Is the thing that you sought to alleviate the pain in your life now holding you captive? Have you tried everything on your own, but you have just failed? Here's an encouragement to you. If you run to Jesus, he'll help you in your struggle. And if you're having trouble going to Jesus, if you can't pick yourself up, we need people in our lives who will be willing to pick us up and carry us to Jesus. If you notice this story, this rescue mission is not a one-man mission, but it is a group effort. The paralytic, the paralytic man knew he needed healed, and he knew that he couldn't bring himself to Jesus, but his friends could. And so let me ask you this. This is convicting for me. How are you at confessing your need for Jesus to other people and enlisting them to help you in your struggle against sin? And to be honest, I'm really, really bad at this. But I've learned that if I actually want to see God heal me and change me and help me, see, like, help me conquer the sin, I have got to confess it to other people. And it's so humbling. I don't want people to know how really bad I am. And I don't want to admit how, how much of a problem it really is. I want to ignore it. But if I actually want to see God work in my life, I've found that when I confess those deepest sins in my heart to someone else and I ask them to pray for me, and ask them to read me truth and remind me of who I am, healing begins and sin starts to lose its power. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have someone like that in your life, find someone. Go to a community group. And you know what? If you don't click there, if you feel like no one's sharing that, be the first to share. Somebody's got to be the first person. It might as well be you. And if you know people in your life who need to be brought to Jesus, don't try to give people quick fixes. Don't just, you know, I feel like we try to do that all the time. Just bring them to Jesus. You're not going to fix them. Jesus is the only one who can heal people from the real problem of sin. Now, some of you today, you don't identify, honestly, with this kind of desperation. You assess your life, and you, think, you honestly can't think of anything that huge that you need to be forgiven of. Well, you're also not alone. And if you look in this, there are some people in the crowds in the story who also felt that way. Verses 6 through 8 said, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So a little story. You need to know who the scribes are for this to make sense. And so basically, they're the people whose job it is to like re read and record and make sure that everyone is doing God's word. They're following the law. They're the experts on God's word, which actually makes them the perfect people to identify what Jesus is doing here. Because as he is saying that he is forgiving people's sins, what he's doing is claiming to be God. Because the scriptures say that only God can forgive sins. And if he's claiming to be God and he's actually not, then he's committing blasphemy, which is actually punishable by death. Only God is able to forgive sins. If someone slapped Corey in the face and I said, I forgive you for that, it makes no sense whatsoever because I didn't get slapped in the face, he did. Only the person who's been offended is able to extend forgiveness. So if Jesus is claiming that he can give this man forgiveness, he's claiming then that he's the one that was offended by this man's sin. And did you notice that Jesus calls the scribes out not for making a loud distraction in the midst of his talk, but for having thoughts in their heart? Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine if I was like, hey, you in the third row. Do you disagree with my point? And you did. And I just like called you out in front of everyone. That would be terrifying. Like who knows people's hearts? Who can do that? Well, Jesus... He calls them out because of them doubting who he is. And he exposes, actually, the real problem in their hearts. See, if you look throughout the Bible, Jesus has this long-standing history with the scribes. Actually, in Matthew 23, the title is called Seven Woes to the Scribes and Pharisees. And so I like to think that Jesus had 99 problems, and the scribes were one of them. <laughs> he said... So let's see, what were his problems? He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but you're full of dead bones and uncleanness. So outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within you, you're full of hypocrisy. And lawlessness. And there is a lot more. There's a lot of going back and forth between Jesus and the scribes, but essentially he's saying that they think that they are made clean because on the outside they're doing all the right things. They're keeping the long commands, they're making sure everyone else is doing the same thing, but they have missed the most important thing. Their law keeping doesn't make them clean where they need to be clean on the inside. Sin, excuse me, sin still remains. They didn't see their need for Jesus. They tried to make their own righteousness, and they missed the fact that Jesus, God, come to earth, was sitting right in front of them. Can you relate to the scribes here? Are you more concerned with looking righteous on the outside and doing the right things than you are actually letting God have control of your life? Are you so busy doing religious things that you miss having a relationship with God? Are you desperately longing to just feel right, to feel good enough? And so you make a list of all the good things you need to do and all the bad things you need to avoid so that you can check them off and feel good about yourself? Or do you justify your sin? Do you say to yourself, well, I did do that, but at least I'm not as bad as that person. Or you make a list of, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty nice person. I didn't kill anyone. I mean, you can go on and on and on of self-justification. 
And personally, I relate to this. I mean, I'm in full-time ministry. It's my job to tell people about Jesus. I even raise support to do it. I'm really nice to people, and I smile. I don't get drunk. I ended a relationship because it wasn't who God has for me. It's like I take bold steps of faith, and I can start to think, yeah, I don't really need Jesus that much. I won't bother him. I'll let the real sinners talk to him. I'll just come back when he's less busy with them. Here's the deal. I miss the sin in my own heart. I actually had a, a moment the other day when I was just like, how was the last time I confessed sin? And I was like, God, I need you to help expose that in my heart. And so I just laid in bed, and boy, did the floodgates come. Of all the ways that I was not trusting God, of all the judgmental thoughts that I've had, and I just felt like I was vomiting the sin out. And you know what? After you vomit, it feels really good. It's gross in the process, but you feel so good afterwards. But guys, I'm sorry for that grossness. Um, here's the deal. I'm often crippled by the sin of self-reliance and self-righteousness. And I can easily just sit in the crowd and hear Jesus' teaching and miss that it's for me. That I need Jesus every single day. And that he desperately wants me to run to him in faith. And so friends, we miss, when we miss our need for Jesus and we think we can be made right on our own, we are in a dangerous place. And I want to encourage you to check your heart tonight. Ask yourself, when is the last time that I asked God to help me with something? Have I asked him to make me aware of the sin in my life? Or am I relying on myself? Or am I relying on him? I feel like just taking care of the outside is a lot like having a body riddled with cancer and being really concerned about it being toned and ripped will still be riddled with cancer. See, if you're like the scribe, guess what? You also have hope today. You have hope that Jesus sees you where you're at and he wants you to know who he really is. And so let's look at Jesus' response to the questions in the scribe's heart. Verses 9 through 11 say, Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now which is easier to say is the good question. Your sins are forgiven? or rise, pick up your bed, and go home? The answer is, they're both really hard to answer, and only God can actually do that. But he looks at the scribes in this moment. He said, but I want you to know. I want you to know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that I am God, that I'm here for you as well. And then we go back to the paralytic, and he's, he's in his bed, and he's probably really humble that he's just been lowered as a distraction. Jesus has just forgiven him. Who knows what's going on in his head? But he looks that paralytic in the eye and he says, take up your bed, arise, go home. And the whole room has to be on the edge of their seat. Is this man going to follow through with his claim to be God? Is he really able to forgive and to heal? So the paralytic takes a deep breath. And verse 12 says, he rose immediately and he picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified saying, we never saw anything like this. Guys, he walked out of there, a forgiven man and a healed man. Can you imagine being there? To see this man lowered through a ceiling, to see these respected religious people called out and to watch Jesus heal him. 
it's no wonder that they were all amazed and that they were glorifying God because they've never seen anything like it. And this is a really great story. And I think we look at it and say, man, that's really cool for him and for Jesus. I'm glad he can do that. But it's really easy to miss that this story is our story too. That we were crippled in sin, that we were held in bondage to it, and that we needed healing. But that Jesus, he came for us as well. He can heal you and forgive you tonight. If you come to him in faith and ask him to heal you and forgive you. Guys, there is no sin too deep that the hand of God can't reach down and take out. And there's no sin too small that he just doesn't care about it. If you're crippled with sin tonight, whether it be an addiction or self-reliance, you can be forgiven, even healed. You can come to Jesus needy and broken. And I know it feels like you're being annoying to say, God, I'm here again. I've messed up again. You have to be so frustrated with me. I still can't get my act together. But he's not. Because what he desires, why he came, is so that he could bring you close to him and give you everything you need. He came because we couldn't help ourselves. He came to rescue us and to heal us and to bring us back into this relationship with him that we were created for. And how do we know that that's true today? Because some of you may have doubts like the scribes. And I am guaranteeing you there's probably not a paralytic today who's going to get up and walk to demonstrate that Jesus is God. But we have something so much better. We have a Jesus sent by God, the Son of God, to live the perfect life that you couldn't live. And that on the cross, that sin and the guilt and the shame that's yours, he took. And he was buried in the ground. But on the third day, he didn't just raise a paralytic and make him walk, but he raised himself from the dead and he walked out of the tomb to demonstrate that once and for all, sin has been taken care of and that he is Lord of all. That is what Jesus did, and you can know for sure that that is who our Jesus is. And so here's what it means to you. This is my favorite verse, and I just couldn't help but ending with it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it says, We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And once we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is just Satan, to say we followed Satan, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. Uh, I'm going to skip. We were like that. We were na- children of wrath. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us to do that we should walk in him. Guys, we were dead in our sins. We were crippled. We couldn't get ourselves out. But God came and he made us alive with him. And not only that, but as he was raised, we get that honor alongside of him. And all we have to do, we don't have to do a bunch of good things. We're not going to have to soup, go to church a thousand times a month and then check off the checklist. You're going to mess up and you're going to fail. But what it all comes down to is that it's a free gift. If you trust that Jesus is the son of God and that you can go to him 
in faith. And if you lack faith, if you don't have faith, here's the deal. He gives it to you, so ask him. And if you go, because Jesus is God, you can go to him in faith for forgiveness and healing from the sin that cripples you. And so I want you to think tonight, as we'll have the band come up, as we reflect, I want you to think this great Jesus has come to rescue you. So if there's sin in your life that is crippling you, I want you to confess that to him and tell other people. I think it's really helpful. And if you have not ever told Jesus your need for him and asked him to come into your life, now is a great time to do that because you can know that you can walk out of here healed and forgiven by the God of the universe because of what he's done for you. So I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are the God who's come to save us. God, I pray for the men and women in this room, for those who are crippled in sin, who feel like their sin is too deep and too strong, that it has too much of a hold on them, that they can't possibly be forgiven. God, I pray that they would know that they can come to you to receive forgiveness and mercy and be healed. And God, I pray that you convict us who don't even see our need for you. Would we see how fallen we are, how desperate we are, and how loved we are by the God of the universe. And I pray that we would come to you. And so God, we thank you so much that you've come and become death for us so that we could be alive with you, free from our sin and our shame and our guilt. We pray these things in your name.